All right. So for for those of you, especially if you're new tonight, this is not what this night normally looks like, or maybe if this is your first time at one of our coffee and questions things. Usually, we're doing a Bible study. We're walking through Second Corinthians right now, and and we were walking through that chapter by chapter. Uh, I think I don't know. We're in five. We're at six now. So we'll jump back into that after Thanksgiving. But once a semester, we try to have a coffee and questions night where basically we kind of open it up to you guys to be able to ask anything that's on your mind in light of the stuff we've been studying or maybe something you heard in one of your classes at school or just any other kind of thing. And so real quick, uh, we have a phone number up here. Can you guys see this? Um, No? Okay. Bigger. Will get bigger? Okay. 918, yeah, 911, <laughs> 634, okay, sweet, so this is a number, this is actually Alex's number, so you can text any questions, our best story with that, we told this last year, our best story is one time we set up a number for people to text in if they want to go to the retreat, and it just, it didn't happen to be any of our numbers, it was some random guy's number. <laughs> And so this random dude was walking around, and he kept getting the word retreat from strangers' numbers. I'm texting in this thing, and so uh, this is actually a right number. So if you text it, it won't be some random dude. Um, it will be Alec. And, uh, and he'll, be, he'll be asking us those and texting us some of those. So you may see us looking at our phone. We're just looking at questions that are getting sent in when we do that. Real quick. Um, you guys, I think most people know Ryan, Ryan Vincent. This is Rachel's husband, um, and, uh, and Ryan's, uh, Ryan's a nice dude and a smart dude. Uh, and, so, and so we love to have Ryan, Ryan here with us on these nights because he's, he's got a, a great mind and able to kind of respond to some stuff quickly. Um, and then also, you guys met Jake one time, Jake Moore. This is uh, Jake's wife, Erin Moore. And uh, we brought both of them here because, A, we want you to get to know them. Um, B, there's some stuff that, that they're involved in that we would love for you to hear about, and we would love to see table students involved in it. Um, but also, um, these guys, I think, are a great example of what it looks like to try and discern God's calling on your life and what it looks like they've been. They wrestled with that a bunch 11 years ago, and I think wrestled with that a fair amount in this last year, um, what it looks like to kind of follow God where He may lead you. And so as you're wrestling through those things, these would be some great people to ask questions to both tonight and then afterwards and, and get to know them a little bit. So I'm going to let real quick, for those of you guys who weren't here, I want Aaron just to share a little bit about who they are and, and what's brought them here. So, um, Hi. Well, we are Jake and Aaron Moore, and um, we've spent the last 11 years doing church planting in Ethiopia. Um, we lived in a really remote setting. Um, We also ran a health clinic there um, because we had to do that to have permission to be in the country. Um, So we have three kids. They're now uh, almost next month, 14, 12, and 8. All of them were raised there, and we are just now, this summer, transitioning back to the U.S. So um, we are still in a bit of culture shock coming here. Um, which might be a little bit surprising to some of you, but um, we, um, yeah, we had a very, I would actually call it now, because I guess we're at the end of that ministry, I would call it a very successful ministry. Um, Jake and I were 
able to watch a community that before we came knew nothing about the name of Jesus. We were able to watch them give their lives to Christ. We have seen a church planted. Um, we've seen them start giving, tithing, um, walking to other villages to tell other people about Jesus. So they are um, self-replicating. They are um, intentional. Um, so to watch people that knew nothing about that prior to us coming and now know how to do that has been absolutely amazing. So that's who we are. I guess I went to Milligan College, which you've never heard of. Actually, so raise your hand. That. You have? Okay. Well, but no, you can't have talked to me. That doesn't count. Um, but I grew up in Stillwater. I should have said that. I grew up in Stillwater. Oh, that's right. You win. You win. Rachel, right? Okay. Um, so I grew up in Stillwater and, and went to Milligan College, which is in the northeast part of... Um, Tennessee. And if any of you go to Sunnybrook, Jim Johnson will tell you that it's a pagan school, even though it's a liberal arts Christian college. Um, it's somehow worse than OSU. Yeah. So that's what I did. Jake went to OU, so you can hate him too. There's plenty of haters out here. Yeah. Um, and we met going to Christian punk rock concerts because we're really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's back it. in the day in Bartlesville. Did you ever go to the the warehouse? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was warehouse. this punk rock. There's this punk rock. Uh, that was like place. my my dream in life was for my Christian bands to, oh, be yeah. able to make it to the warehouse. Yeah, because they had this battle of the bands thing yes. every year. Yes. So we met because a Stillwater punk band and Kids a prior free. yeah Kids Eat Free yeah, Kids played yeah. and, and and Super Sneeze. <laughs> the, I swear that was the name of the punk band from Prior, where yeah. I'm from. Yeah. Yeah. And awesome. Super Sneeze. And Kids Eat Free played in the Battle of the Bands. They became Sweet. friends, and we became friends through them. That is we weren't at that Battle right. of the Bands. So American I know your rejects. respect level just went That's up. That's Kids Eat Free drummer. The drummer. Yeah. yeah. There goes our cred right there. <laughs> and Cross Canadian Ragweed. You guys know that? Cross Canadian No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, awesome. Do you want to actually? I want, let's do at the brook. No, no, no. I want. I want you to tell them now. Tell. Can you tell them real quickly just about this stuff over here? Yes. Do you want me to tell yes, them? Yes, yeah. you said you would. Okay. So a couple weeks ago, Jake was here, and he he told you guys about the organization that we went with to Ethiopia that we're still affiliated with, CMFI, Christian Missionary Fellowship International. And there's some information over here about their summer programs. Um, where you can go for an eight-week period um, to a country where you're living with missionaries. Um, it could be a very rural, remote setting. It could be in a city. Um, it just depends on the country that you go to. Um, but it gives you an opportunity, rather than just going on a mission trip where you have some objective, which is let's build a church or let's um, paint this orphanage or whatever. In a two-week span or ten-day span. And, yeah, in a much shorter period. You're able to go and kind of get a feel for, oh, this is what it looks like to live here day in and day out. And um, maybe I would want to do something like that. I actually did that in college. I went to Ethiopia um, my sophomore year, the summer after my sophomore year of college, and then decided to live there. Um, so there's some brochures over here about different opportunities. And if any of you feel... Like, that's something you were really interested in. Please come and talk to us, because I'd love to talk to you guys more about it and um, 
get you hooked up with people from CMF. Yeah, and Jake was Jake was saying earlier they they even have like uh, summer internships at campus ministries, something like the table in the middle yeah, of in the middle of a university in Spain or in Ireland, um, and where they they would love to have students who can come do an internship or can even enroll and get get credit for attending a university there and then being a part of a campus ministry like this, only being a part of one in a place where a lot of people don't know Jesus and having a chance to do that. The crazy so. thing, too, with doing the study abroad program with CMF is not only do you get college credit, but your financial aid package covers that time. Or if you're here on a scholarship, your scholarship covers that. So literally, like your scholarship, so your, your scholarship can pay low. for missions work. Yeah, can pay cool for like gospel work, which is yeah. cool. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Come, I hope you guys will talk to them about that at the break and afterward and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, all right. So we actually had a number of questions. We asked you guys to fill out some questions, uh, some cards last week, and a number of them kind of hit some common themes. And so you guys feel free to text stuff in or whatever, but. There's, there's, yeah. there's some of them that were kind of hit already. Yeah. So there's some that, that were already in this kind of column. So we wanted to make sure that we hit on some of those kind of right out of the gate. So, yeah. so give us some of those, Alec. Okay, so the first one we've got is uh, the first center of questions we got was all about uh, the will of God and how you know what that is. Like uh, how can you know God's plan for your career? How do you know what you're actually, if you're actually hearing from God and not just your own subconscious? How do you know where the Lord is calling you in the ministry and all that? So we can work through that. But the specific one that we want to start with uh, for Jake and Aaron is how did you know that God was calling you overseas? Like how did you hear and work through that? Well, I think one thing uh, is true of the of the church currently uh, here in the United States, but even Ethiopia, is that sometimes we overcomplicate trying to understand the will of God. And what I mean is... God, Jesus, laid it out pretty clearly that these are the things I want my followers to do. And we just need to do some of those things. And the problem is, is we don't want to do those things, so then we start asking, what's the will of God? What's God want me to do? He's saying, love your neighbor. Or he's saying, go and make disciples. But we're like, I don't understand. I don't quite understand what he means. So let me try to figure out how to discern his will for my life. I, I have to think, I mean, even like, you know, the Good Samaritan story, you know, the guy says, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? I almost wonder if Jesus was, when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, was almost laughing like, okay, I'll put it in really simple terms for you. There's a dude that gets beat up and another guy helps him out and even gives money to keep him alive. So I think we can overcomplicate the will of God question a little bit. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, there in Matthew 28, he didn't say, for you guys that went to Ozark, you guys can go and be disciple makers in other countries. I think he's saying, you guys are my followers. As you're going, as you're about your business, as you're about your work, as you're about my work, you should be making disciples. So I think what we need to be doing as we're trying to figure out what God's will is for our lives is we need to try to actually put ourselves into a posture where we can follow some of those commands that Jesus has laid out. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, I mean, hey, I'll push CMF. Take a summer internship. Do what Jesus said. Go and make some disciples in the slums of Kenya. Go to Thailand and make disciples. Put yourself in a place where you're following the commands that are very clear and basic in Scripture. So, because I, I think 
I love, and I want, I want to touch on something you said in just, yeah. a, in just a minute, but um, talk to me about, so how did you know yeah. the difference for you was make disciples right. in Stillwater or make disciples in Ethiopia? How did you come to like that, that realization? Well, um, when I, I accepted Christ when I was 12, and then I went on a, a short-term missions trip to Jamaica when I was 13. And so <clears throat> when I accepted Christ, I just assumed I'm all in. There's no, I'm not saying I never had questions or that I'm not any different than I was when I was 13, but I just thought, I'm all in. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. Um, so for me, I, I, I know that if God's process with everyone is different, and I totally believe that, but for me it was, all right, where's the ends of the earth? And so, <laughs> so now I'm kind of in the stage in my life where I've gone to the ends of the earth, and I'm trying to figure out what it means to be a disciple here, and it, and I'm, I'm seriously asking God about that. So, I don't think it's cut and dried. Um, but for us, as a couple, we went on a vision trip to Ethiopia, um, even though I had already been, and we actually were looking at doing campus ministry in the capital. But the further out we went, we realized nobody wants to go there, and so the further out we went, we said. All right, I think, you know, there's going to be a stack of resumes for people that want to work at this church in Owasso or wherever. I don't think anybody wants to go here. So if we're willing, maybe we should. There was not some, I, I, honestly, there was not some aha moment. It was just kind of like, right, you, Jesus you said, go make disciples. <laughs> Here's a need. We can fill that need. Let's step into it. Now, yeah, there was... We wanted to. We too. wanted to. I think there was a spirit yeah, calling yeah. us, drawing us, but it wasn't a vision. It yeah. wasn't Abraham, you know, getting God com coming down and saying, "The Gumus people of Ethiopia shall be thine calling." You know, it wasn't something like that. It was seriously. We saw a need. We can do this. Jesus told us we should yeah. do this. Let's go do it. For me, when I was in college at OU, uh, the the center school. Um, <laughs> I was planning God on. Really I, got a hold of I know God really got a hold of me. I was in a fraternity. I was a SIGEP, and I uh, got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. I was on track to join the Marine Corps. I was going to officers candidate school, and a guy, a discipler, uh, staff guy with Crusade, with crew, just challenged me. He was like, "Hey, man, the Marines will always be there, but the summer opportunity in Russia won't be there. Where a bunch of us are going, I think you should go." I prayed about it. And I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." Let's go. Went to Russia my first summer after my freshman year. And then a, a big group, crew of people were going again the next summer. And it was on that second trip, the second summer. And I was like, man, this is what I need to be doing for the rest of my life. This is what? Doing cross-cultural ministry. Reaching out to people who have never heard the gospel is what I need to be a part of. I was actually reading a book by a guy named John Piper. I'm sure you guys have all heard of him. Uh, he had a book uh, called Let the Nations Be Glad. And I was reading that book on my way to, uh, to Russia. And really felt like God was just in a, in a, a real sense in my gut. Like, man, this is what I need to be a part of. This is the work I need to be a part of. So after I finished up, graduated from OU, did campus ministry for two, our first two years of marriage. And while we were doing campus ministry at East Tennessee State University, it's way out in the, like she said, northeast corner of the state, is when we did that vision trip to Ethiopia. So that's where, yeah. I guess for me, yeah. that what I was kind of laying the the, foot, uh, the groundwork for of saying, putting yourself in a posture for hearing yeah. what yeah. God's calling you to is kind of, that's what we did. And if I, I had like, I yeah. think like in some way, like it, it's kind of like 
God's will is less about like a location mm-hmm. and more about the kind of person you're becoming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is God's will that you would be sanctified, First yeah. Thessalonians tells us, that you would bear fruit, that you would love yeah. the church, that you would make disciples. And and it seems to me like when we when we try to be the people who are coming after God's heart, then like location, <laughs> it's not that he never calls to location, but that sort of naturally makes its way out. Yeah. It's like as as I'm growing to want to love God and make disciples, he kind of puts this area, and I start to find myself loving the Gumus people and having kind of a heart for that area, and so it's not like a big here, here, here. It's like, I love you, and I've kind of got this heart, and you've kind of put... It doesn't seem to me like God drags a lot of people kicking and screaming to places. No, Uh, but that's always the fear. Like It's like, man, if I go and make disciples, God's going to make me go do what Jake and Aaron did and live in the bush of Africa. I was going to say, there's a quote by a guy named Friedrich Wiechner, and I've thought of this a lot throughout my life, that God, he says, God calls you to the place where the world's deep hunger and your deep gladness meet. So your deep gladness might not be in a remote setting. It might be in a city, or you might be really good at finances. But there's some kind of, there's something that the world needs from you that God wants people to see through you specifically, through what brings you joy and you gladness. And I also think when you find your joy... In knowing Jesus, he reveals to you where that deep hunger is. Yeah, um, yeah like you said, it can be any place. It can awesome. be with any people. That's yeah. awesome. I love that. Yeah. Alec, man, what else we got? All right, uh, so this one's more, we're definitely going to come back to you guys and yeah. get as much as we can, but uh, this one's more of a, I don't know, I'll let Brian or Drew answer this one. Um, how do I know that scripture is inspired? Take it away, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy! You don't have some story about Africa. Right? I, did not, I did not go to Africa to figure that out. Um, there, so I get asked this question a lot, actually. Um, there's no magic bullet answer where, when I give it, I've convinced someone. And so we need to kind of take that option or expectation off of the table. And uh, so... Just to walk you through how I how I answer this question, when someone when someone asks me, I, I tell them, okay, if, if you want if you want my answer on this, it's actually going to be rather long and drawn out. And those of you who know me aren't surprised, but it's I don't have I don't think the verses I have, though I have them, are going to change your mind. Um, I kind of I, I think I think through five different conversations. We can have them all at once, but they're five different subjects that I'm going to work my way through to answer this question. Um, first, I want to talk about how to argue well. And arguing is not a bad word. It's, it's actually just a, putting a topic in the middle of the table and kind of walking around it and looking at it and trying to figure something out. So there are rules for how we argue. Um, and uh, one, of the, one of the rules that sometimes we can forget, especially because we're Christians and it's natural to go on the defensive because we feel constantly attacked, is just because you don't like my belief does not mean I have to defend it. Actually, whenever you question the inerrancy of Scripture or the inspiration of Scripture in a way that says you don't believe that that's true, um, the rules of like proper debate are, since you have a problem with the idea, you have to establish first reasonable doubt that it's not. And so what I do is I don't, I don't run into all of my verses. I say, give me good reasons why it wouldn't be. And all of a sudden, they're backpedaling a little bit. And the game is not who can win that battle. But it is to help them understand 
you don't have perfect reasons for disbelieving in the inspiration of Scripture. You just don't like it. Which brings me to the second question I want to ask them, or the second conversation, is I want to ask, um, I want to make sure that we both understand each other's assumptions. If you've been, a, if you've been in a philosophy class, these are usually called presuppositions. Um, the things, the set of beliefs that you already believe before we come to this particular question. So oftentimes when someone has a hard time with the inspiration of Scripture, I can, through a series of questions, figure out that they have a naturalistic view of the world. They, by, by default, dis, disbelieve anything that has a supernatural element to it. And I'm coming to it with a very different perspective. And so, I don't even need to change their mind. I just need them to be aware that we are coming to this question from fundamentally different uh, locations. They don't believe that there is a supernatural world, and therefore the inspiration of Scripture sounds silly and nonsensical. I do believe in the supernatural world and a supernatural being who... It's no, it's no incredible feat to him to inspire Scripture. So that gets me to the third thing that I want to talk to them about is, what kind of people are we? Are you an unbeliever? And if that's the case, then you're a person who does not have the Spirit, and you do not have eyes to see, and you do not have ears to hear, and you do not have a heart that can understand spiritual things. And I do have all of those things. So, not to, not to then, you know, run them off, but just so we understand, I am not, ta I'm talking to a dead person. I'm talking to someone who does not have the Spirit of God and does not have a faith that can enter into something like Scripture and take it for what it says it is. Um, if, you, uh, if any of you take philosophy classes, one of these things, this is called the fiduciary framework. It means everybody has faith in something. Everybody has faith in something. They likely have faith in their naturalistic worldview. I have faith in my supernatural God that seems to do incredible things in me and in the people I know. And I have all the reason to believe that the scriptures that I know and love and read on a daily basis and experience are true because I've just never seen them proven false. And then that brings me to the, just now on step four, do I get to my verses? I understand what the Bible says. How in Deuteronomy 6, it testifies to this beautiful law of God and how we should know it and write it on our minds and our hearts and all throughout the Old Testament it talks about and thus saith the Lord and thus saith the Lord God is speaking and then in Matthew 5 Jesus says and all of that stuff is perfect we're not going to mess with it it therefore must be divine and then Paul says that all thing like the, the scripture is God breathed and Peter says this thing is is perfect and you should always be willing to give an answer for the hope that you have and then in Revelation, Jesus says, all of this stuff is good and final and true. Anyone who adds to it will have all of these curses laid upon them. And so the scriptures just speak to their perfection nonstop. And then when I get to the very last thing, and again, we might be five separate, five days worth of conversations in. Um, I, I have to remember that it is not my job to change their mind. It is my job to testify to the truth. And that I am not the Holy Spirit. And I cannot act on someone's heart in the way that he can. So, to recap, argue well. Don't, don't argue from a defensive position. Just argue, you know, say, I'm not going to be offended if you think I'm dumb. That's fine. I'd rather be on the side of the Creator. Um, and then, two, understand each other's assumptions and presuppositions. Understand that you're probably talking to a dead person, or maybe an immature spiritual person, and those you, you approach those things differently. Four, know what the scriptures say about itself. Know what Jesus, especially, said about the scriptures. And all he does is affirm them. And their trustworthiness and their inspiration. And then five, 
leave the results up to God. Like testify to the goodness of God and Jesus and the scriptures and then walk away and, and don't feel the need to change people's minds. We're to be good witnesses. We don't, we don't yeah. wrench people's arms behind their backs to make them believe what we do. That's the Spirit's job. I, I would just add, too, when, when I was at OU or at ETSU uh, in Tennessee, anytime in campus ministry I had students or guys that I was hanging out with kind of throw that same question out, kind of work through the debate part, look for commonalities, but then often I would even be like, hey, have you ever read the Bible? Yeah. They're hearing something that a professor's saying. They're hearing something that someone has told them, but they themselves maybe have never actually read any scripture. Mm-hmm. So a lot usually, of people, yeah, a lot usually, of their information came from YouTube. Yeah, YouTube, yeah. somebody else. Secondhand knowledge. We're so guilty of that all of the time. We take secondhand knowledge and we apply that as our gospel. You know, gospel meaning this is our news that we're going to proclaim. So it's yeah. somebody else's info. So my challenge would be if you've got somebody in your house, uh, dorm mate, whatever throwing out those types of questions, challenge them to read the Bible, maybe give yeah. them a passage, and they might say, well, you're not going to read any of my crap. Well, read their stuff. Yeah. You know? Let's do yeah. you know, a little give and take. Establish and I, a, like a, a, a co-pursuit of truth. Right. I, you know, when someone says, you know your Bible's full of mistakes, I always just hand them my Bible and say, I would love to know where they are. Seriously, yeah. I'm not trying to be a jerk about this. I really, if they're in there, I'd like you to show me. Yeah. They have no idea where yeah, they, they are. Don't know. They don't know where to start. I can show them all the mistakes better than they can sure. show me the mistakes. Absolutely. And I, it doesn't worry me. So I just, anytime someone starts to say, you know, that thing is full of errors, I just hand them my Bible. Show me one. And they never have an answer. Yeah. And, and the truth is, I'm not trying to bury them. I and am I, saying we both right. are looking for the truth. Right, and I think that's what you're saying with arguing well. Yeah. I guess that's why I just wanted to jump on there, that that's arguing well. Yeah. That's establishing a common ground that we can then build off from. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Okay, um, yeah, there's so much we can go over that. Uh, a common, a similar one, in a similar kind of frame of mind, um, I guess I'm going to... I'm going to toss up some Drew, because you've been quiet uh, for a little bit. Um, how do you respond to well-researched scientific arguments that go against what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, so this is it's a hard question to answer specifically with that, you know, specific arguments or whatever, but so I can I can answer in general to those things in that one of the things I like to tell students and, and it kind of goes in connection with Ryan with what Ryan said is that the the truth has nothing to hide. That's a phrase that we like to use, and so um, that, that you, we don't have to be afraid, actually, of um, of seeking these things, pursuing these things. I don't. I don't. A well reasoned, um, well researched scientific argument is great, and I would love to hear. And I don't think that that has to speak against those things. You know what I mean? Um, by and large, when people are saying scientific arguments, uh, there's kind of two that, that I can think of. Um, there's two or three realms that they could be speaking to. Um, one is they're saying, they're saying because we have an explanation for these things, we don't have to believe in God. And, and that doesn't actually follow for me to say because we know how rain comes, we don't have to believe that God sent it, right? It's kind of like saying because I discovered that the way these, these messages keep coming to my phone is through another phone, 
It means I don't have to believe in human beings anymore. Like, I, no, Alec is using the phone to send it to me, right? And so I believe, yeah, I believe in every scientific process for how the sun rises and how rain comes, and I believe that God is orchestrating those things. So an explanation for how things work doesn't mean God's not behind those things. Um, that's, like, always important to be able to, to, to reason between those two things, and that science can't, can only explore below the arch, Okay, like below the arc, as we say, within this realm, and it cannot explore beyond those things. And then there's other things that they, um, other things that science has to do with is like origins, how things got started, um, which again, by the way, is not like almost nothing in origins has to be in in um, conflict with what the scripture says. God, whatever thing they say for how the universe could have started, there's a very good chance that that's how, like, that God used that means to do it. Mm-hmm. We don't know that exactly. And, and, and so I think that's important to be able to, to remember that, too, that God can use those different means. And, and there are a number of different, I'm not saying, I'm not saying uh, to take, you know, the things that are said in this slightly, but there are a number of different interpretations of how Genesis 1 and 2 come together um, by people who believe this to be the inerrant, inspired word of God who say this could be pointing to Big Bang, this could be pointing to a snap of the fingers, this could be pointing to um, like uh, evolutionary processes and, and all these things and they could all still fit within that. And then I'd say like the third thing that I think of, and there may be plenty more, these are just off the top of my head, is like supernatural. And to just say because because we know that the world works like this, then supernatural things can't happen. And, and actually that sentence at the very beginning is what kind of hurts them. Because we know that the world works like this, supernatural things can't happen. Why? Well, because supernatural things have never happened. What about the resurrection? Well, that didn't happen. Why? Because supernatural things can't happen. And, and they have to, they're starting with what I know, and so they automatically take, everything everything off the table that is in proof of supernatural things happening they just automatically push it aside because well that can't happen and so there's there's nothing there's no evidence i can give you of the supernatural taking place if every time i give it you wipe it clean right um and so those those three areas are kind of at least what what i spot what i think through and and how i would kind of respond to those areas i don't know if you guys have anything on that but um i would just add that um, there's a lot, I think, in so in your context, right? Everybody that you encounter on campus has three or four letters after their name because they've gone to school for a million years. And so with that comes a certain measure of credibility, right? You're a freshman in Pick the Class, and Dr. So-and-so walks in and begins to lecture. It can be very intimidating to disagree with the very educated one, right? PhDs, I, I'm, not, I'm not demeaning them. They're, they're hard to get, but they're in incredibly narrow fields. These people are experts in one tiny sliver of all of the knowledge that exists. And what they want is they want their expertise in molecular chemistry or whatever, um, and one paper on one study that got them those letters after their name. They want that very, 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 very specific expertise. They want you to believe that that should be extrapolated to everything. And therefore, whenever they are an expert on how molecules work, they're also an expert in metaphysics and history and origins. And, and because they're in positions of authority and influence and prestige, it can be intimidating to question them. But, and, and I'm not even suggesting that you do this in, in class. 
but just say, and what qualifies you to speak so broadly on the wealth of truth in all of creation? Because you went to Purdue and studied one thing for four to five years. And so we all intuitively do this. We think that whenever we get good at something, we're good at everything. And, and <laughs> just reality kicks that in the face over and over and over. And so science is a bit of a battering ram that squashes anything that has to do with faith. And I think sometimes we're quick to kind of lay down and take it. And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not the guy that says you need to be able to beat their arguments, but don't think a compelling argument just means it's true, or don't think it's true just because it's compelling or convincing. It's good. Awesome. Um, just so you know that we are actually using text questions, uh, we've got a really good one that I, I'd like. So I think all of you guys can answer this because you're all ministers, but uh, let's start with Jake and Aaron uh, specifically. How did you evaluate success when you were in the mission field? Was it by by fruit, um, or was it just by like, faithfulness? How, how much being faithful? How, how did you guys evaluate that? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, how do you evaluate success in your ministry? Is it through fruit? Is it through faithfulness? Um, you know, when Jesus talks about his followers, and because I'm a Christ follower, I'm going to keep bringing it back to Jesus. And that John 15, he talks about the analogy of each of us as followers of Christ being grafted to him, abiding in him as the vine. He's a vine, we're branches. And then what's, what comes from the branch being grafted to the vine? Fruit. That's the measure of success, I think, in Jesus' eyes. Um, but that doesn't always look like what we think. It's not going to be like in his, yeah. So different types of fruit take different times <laughs> to come about for you ag people, you know, more than I do uh, about it. Um, and even looks different. So it's not like we planted a church in Yomp and it's a mega church of a thousand people. Uh, that the fruit there were transformed lives in a transformed community. Seeing Jesus transform a person's life is fruit. Of ministry, seeing Jesus transform a community from a place where people were murdering each other to carrying around their Bibles, that's fruit from ministry. But it took faithfulness, it took sticking with the ministry for seven plus years in one really rough place to see that fruit come about. It wasn't like in our first seven months of living in this place called Yomp that suddenly we had throngs of people placing their faith in Christ. Actually, our first three years there were really crappy, really hard, extremely difficult. And it was even a wrestling match for us to be like, man, God, what are you doing here? We, we feel like this is the place we're supposed to be. We feel like you've directed us to this place. All of the chips have fallen to where this is where we're supposed to be, but nothing's coming together. And it wasn't until our second term in Yomp these last three years, when the fruit started coming about. So I think that that's where the two start blending together. You don't just say, hey, I'm going to go make disciples in Spain, get off the plane and suddenly start bearing fruit that people start coming to Christ. That's not how it works. If you're going to go do campus ministry in Spain for the summer, it's probably going to be your last week there when you actually get to the place where you can have a faith conversation like what Ryan was talking about, about scripture or something like that. And it, it, so it's being faithful through those eight weeks to see that fruit come about. 
I was in the SIGEP house at OU. Um, started a Bible study with my roommate. We were the only two Christians, at least outspoken Christians, in the house. And for those three years that we were in the house, we, we as even stayed in as seniors to have continue to have an influence in the house and maybe had four or five guys consistently come to that Bible study over the three-year period. It, but we, So we didn't really see, from a measure of success, much fruit during that time. But the crazy thing is, is after we left, the house completely changed. And it became a Christian house. It became the place that, oh, if you want to be a believer and in a fraternity, you join the SIGAP house. You never know what your faithfulness will. Your faithfulness will bear fruit, but you might not actually get to see it. I hope, hope that helps. No, that's yeah. great. That's great. Um, I spent, you know, I thought through this a little bit. We spent, my group and I spent a year overseas in northern Cyprus on a university, you know, and and walked away from there with that one person coming to faith. Um, number of gospel conversations. We had, we had people come up to us and um, say, you know, I've been looking all over for a Bible, I need this Bible, you know, and, and so like random things where the God's clearly working on people's hearts, one person saying I had a dream in which Jesus was calling me to come to them, and they still didn't do it, um, <laughs> and so, uh, and so like, I mean, walked away from that, you know, just go, not knowing what to even think, like, was that a waste, was that, I, and, and to this day, I can't even tell you for sure, I, you know, um, I know that after we left that it kind of, um, we, we got to sort of pave the way for a, a family from our church to go move to Cyprus mm-hmm. after us because they were able to kind of learn the ground through us a little bit. Um, but I, I think I might, I might go to heaven not really even knowing until then whether anything came of yeah. that or not, you know. Um, but I hope we were faithful in that, you know. Yeah. And, so, and so those are one of those things where I want to try, try to be faithful and then trust, trust the Lord with those. And, yeah. And sometimes I do go, man, I should have been more bold. I should have said more things. I should have, and, and I really think I should have. But I also do know, you know, um, most of, I was like to point out, yeah, most of the prophets are failures by today's standards <laughs> in success. Yeah. Like they had, most of them had little to no believers and followers, you know, but, but faithful by God's standards of success, you know. So. Absolutely. All right. Um, so I'll just throw this one up to whoever wants to answer this one. Um, what is it okay to pray for? Obviously, I want to pray for my heart to be surrendered to God's will, but can I pray for a specific job to open up, grad school acceptance, I don't know, like a, a crush to like me back? <laughs> Always. What is okay? So, I'll let you work through that one. Well, I'll just say that you cannot pray before a football game and expect God to care. So I'm just going to throw that out there. This is I a non-state school person talking. <laughs> yeah. What? He does not care who wins. Totally cares about it. Yeah, Milligan. Huh. What is that? Yeah, we know that because of the results of Bedlam last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God so doesn't listen to Stillwater people's prayers. Cowboys. Sorry, guys. I don't know. Which one's blessed? I don't know. No. <laughs> no, she's right. I think it's it's comical when yeah. depending on what we pray for sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like does God really care if Jinx or Stillwater win the football yeah. game on Friday night? Yeah. I, does that change history ultimately? M- more than likely, no. Yeah. We can pray for protection for the kids playing, but yeah. 
Here's that God would grant victory and that like that's you know in a microcosm or OU yeah. OSU. I would say like we we're actually praying for jobs right now. Um, did I cut you off? No, no, no. I'm I don't want to hear you. That's good. Well, I don't. I no. I've I've changed my mind about prayer. I mean, you know, you go through a season where you think, what's the point? Are you really listening? I mean, we went through this in Ethiopia. It's like everything's happening bad that could so what what's you're gonna do what you're gonna do you know um so i've had that mentality before but i think um with praying for a job i think again it's praying with um an open-handedness that um i i genuinely want to do what you want me to do and if this job isn't it i don't i don't want it i think I know that's really simplistic. It's probably not something that Ryan would say, but for me, that's that's I, I really do. If you genuinely, because you can't manipulate God, um, He knows what your motivations are. So if you want the job because it kind of makes you look good, um, it it kind of puffs you up a little bit, even if um, makes you more credible with people. I I just don't think I don't think that's in God's nature to grant you that he's not a genie so I think if it's I really want this job I think there's ways I could minister to people but is it what you want um that's how I kind of approach those kinds of things yeah. I like it's that it's not bad to ask yeah, I mean he's I like a that. good father that gives good gifts too yes right. and I love the ability <laughs> two quick things I heard Jim talk about how he's he said on a podcast one time we were doing it, and it surprised me to hear him say it. He says, I pray to God about everything. I yeah. bring every dumb thing. I pray for my the University of Miami to win football games. <laughs> Jim uh, is wrong. But he is wrong but he said, <laughs> But he said, but in it, I always like, yeah, and, and he would tell you, that's a dumb prayer. But he'll even actually, he'll even pause and go, yeah, it's working. Um, he'll pause to go, but he also, as he's doing that, he wants there to be a conversation. And why do I need you to do this right now, God? Like, why is it so important for me that that crush likes me back? You know what I mean? Or what? You know what? Like, so to not, like, I'm not just going to, it's not a, not a genie that I rub the lamp and get whatever, but it's literally a conversation with God, this is what I'm longing for. And I need this job, but, um, God, like if, if this isn't it, then what is it that you are wanting from me? You know what I mean? And then the second thing I would say is it is okay to pray about all these, like, I think God does care about our needs and to be able to pray about what yeah. school should I be in and can you yeah. open up this opportunity, all those things. Uh, one other thing I would add, and I love one of my former professors from Ozark used to ask this question. If God said yes to every one of your prayers, how much further would the kingdom advance? Um, he likes to ask that. Like if he said yes to everything, would the kingdom advance? Or if he said yes to everything, would you just be more comfortable and successful and more rich? You know what I mean? And, and there ought to be some level of our prayers that, that the kingdom advances if they get answered the way we're asking for them, you know? How many of you pray, like, in your prayers with, in Jesus' name, amen? Like, that is a, that is a formula that says, <laughs> I am signing what I've just asked you to do. I am praying in the character, in the person of Christ. So it's, it's I am adopting, you know, if you believe, you know, this whole union with, with Christ business that Paul so carries on about I am taking on the very character and I am doing what I can to have my mind and my will conformed into the image of Christ and that being the case everything that I have prayed for I have prayed for in the name of Jesus Amen
And I'm not, and I, and I don't think any of this is to intimidate us into just not yeah. praying. Yeah. It's to pray silly prayers and let the Lord reject them, and we're not upset about them. And then it's to pray fervent, passionate care. Every time somebody shoots somebody in this country, I beg Jesus to come back. Like, that's my prayer. And I do believe that I'm like, as I feel the brokenness of the world in an in all-too-common way today, like, I'm ready for him to just death star this thing and start over. <laughs> and so I don't feel like, I feel like I am praying in the spirit of Jesus. Come back. And that's the reverse. Um, I was going to say is, I've actually prayed a lot of deliverance prayers, like, please let this thing pass, or please, um, I don't want to walk through this situation, or, um, and often he does not remove, it seems like, the obstacles or the difficult circumstances, but he gives you the strength, usually, to walk through it, and then I feel like, not always, but it's been true in my life that if I look back, years later, I understand why he allowed the difficulty. I don't even know that he put it. I wouldn't say that. I don't think he orchestrates it all, but it he really does work together for good every single thing. So that is I'm sometimes glad he doesn't answer it just the way I thought mm -hmm. I that he should because yeah, he always I, provides something in the midst of that that I, I mean, didn't know I, I needed. Kinda of in the same vein with relationships <clears throat> We might have a crush on somebody, but on a gut level, you know if this person is good for you or not. They're going to either lead you closer to Christ or they're going to take you away from that, from following Jesus. And so I think that can be mixed in your prayers is the recognition that this person is a genuine Christ follower. I see fruit in this person's life and I want to be with that person because they're going to help me be a better Christ follower. Or it's just, you know, that... That chick's really hot, and I want to hang out with her. You know, like that. But you don't talk like that. I mean, in your head, you are. I bet he does. I, I bet he does. I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you did not know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got prayed into this relationship. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like this is a good a good follow up question because you've talked about like how we should pray and what we should pray for. Um, how can you tell that God has answered your prayers, whether it be a yes or a no? I mean, sometimes it's some. Sometimes it's as simple as because it happened. Depending on what you're, I mean, that sure. sounds dumb, but depending on what you're praying for, you know. Um, you, I shared. I think I shared the video. You know, me praying for for forever for for an opportunity to talk with my brother uh, about God and and about what he believes and those kinds of things, and then. I, and, and I sat down with him in this super clear door and opportunity within 30 seconds of being together with him happened. And I just, like, I just had to go, there's nothing I can do to explain that except for yeah. God just answered my prayer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think that that's part of it. And then I think what Aaron said is true, too, that there's sometimes we don't even get to know or see until a couple years later. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes we get to look back and go, wow, that was, that was it, you know? And, and mm. sometimes we... Um, Sometimes we don't know, and we got a no to that prayer, mm -hmm. and we just keep praying anyway, and that really is okay. Hopefully God is sh revealing and working on our hearts yeah. as we continue to pray through those things, you know? Yeah, from our own ministry, like, we were in this one village for seven years. Our, our whole time, we were in two different villages in the 11 years that we were there. In this one village, our next-door neighbors, Egacek is her name, 
Saw her every day. Every day. Our kids played with her kids. Every day. The church is literally like right outside of her door. For six plus years, the lady never came to church. Never darkened the door. Never, ever, ever came. We prayed for her from day one. Like as soon as we met her, we were praying for her that she would come to church. That she, that Christ would do a work in her life. Never came to church. We were always like, what? What? What is? What's missing? What's going on here? And then one day, she just came in and never left. She's an help. I mean, she's, she's a like deaconess. a deaconess in the church now. That's awesome. And that just happened in the last six months that we were in the church. But she went all in. It was like as soon as she finally decided to to become a follower, she just all in. But it took six years of praying for her and being faithful, kind of going back to that original question about fruit and faithfulness, praying for her to see that through. Yeah. Or even I wanted to say one other thing. Oh, okay. Too. I was just going to say in campus ministry, uh, when we my my summer uh, campus project that I did, summer mission trip, we were in a place in uh, Russia where we went all summer, kind of like what Drew was saying with Cyprus, where we didn't connect with any students very well. Um, just didn't have those faith conversations. Felt like we're kind of failing. So, but one thing that we did feel like we did well was we did these prayer walks. The campus was kind of divided up. It was like if OSU was parceled out throughout Stillwater in different areas. So we would go to the different campuses for the colleges and pray specifically for students to to rise up and that God would bring about a change in that place. And it wasn't until that team left and in the following year, another a, a long-term team came in that they started seeing the fruit of that prayer. So we didn't get to see and experience that. But the team after us, I really felt like they experienced the seeds of prayer that we had sown in that time. You were going to add I was just going to say the other thing <laughs> is that I also think that we're extremely impatient people. Mm. And so if we prayed two or three times and he doesn't answer, it's like, whatever, I guess you didn't want that. Where <laughs> sometimes I actually think the whole point is he wants to do something in you yeah. through prayer. Um, and I think it's actually biblical to keep asking for something, especially if you know it's in the will of God. And you, I mean, keep asking him um, because he, I think you own, you own um, his response. You're a part of it with him, I think, when you um, ask for something maybe for years. Um, but we are... And myself included are extremely impatient and don't want to enter into that kind of uh, relationship with God where it might mean I have to keep doing this I have to keep praying for this and I think you'll just know when you need to let it go I also think you'll know oh I am I have not had an answer to this I'm gonna I need to keep praying for this I don't that's real wishy-washy best <laughs> okay um just throw in a text Another text question. Um, why is the intern so... No, no I'm not going to... So hot. Handsome. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, okay. So this was more of a... Uh, this is more of a, a biblical, biblical question. Um, Ryan, I'm, I'm just... I think the rest of them have been rather biblical. Oh. <laughs> okay, Ryan, I'll address this to you. <laughs> this biblical question. Um, so the Holy Spirit is talked about in the New Testament as a new baptism. He came upon... Oh, my goodness. Um, 
In the Old Testament, I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed with the person that texted in because I knew a Hebrew word. It said the ruach uh, dwells within the people and gives them. We know the Holy Spirit dwells in some way in all of us. I'll let you get the clarifications. What is the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament? What is the difference between the Holy Spirit in a believer and the Holy Spirit possibly being in a believer? Okay. Um, yeah, so um, Ruach is, that word is actually probably first used, if I'm, if I'm guessing correctly, it's probably first used when God first breathes life into Adam. Um, so, um, quick Hebrew lesson. Hebrew is an incredibly small language, and every word means about 11 million different things. And so, um, spirit and breath are common um, translations of this particular word. And so this is actually why you see the Holy Spirit, um, when he's talked about, he is moving like breath, he's moving like wind, he's hovering um, over the, hovering over the, the waves, the yes, chaos. Yes, yes, and so he's there in, in one, I think that's verse two, um, the second verse of the Bible or whatever. And, um, and uh, this, the Spirit, so if we're talking about the Spirit in the Old Testament, uh, first of all, quick Trinity lesson. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's an oxymoron. Um, but the, uh, the Spirit, the, the third person of the, of the Trinity, ha- like the, he, he fundamentally cannot change. And so there is no difference between him in the Old Testament and in the New Testament because he is constant. It's, it's a doctrine referred to as divine immutability. The, God, the, the Godhead cannot change, and he has always been complete in Father, Son, and Spirit, right? And so Old Testament Holy Spirit is no different than the New Testament Holy Spirit. What is different, however, is our interaction with Him. So in the Old Testament, when you see the Spirit of God come on, say, a prophet, or Saul, or even David, they're always in some temporary form where they have been, it's, uh, this is a real Anthony word, but it's, it's almost like a special anointing for a particular task or season. Um, but it's very different than the counselor who is now the Spirit acting in a very personal way, who is sent on behalf of the Son in, um, in, at, at Pentecost, but it's first described, um, you, you see him descending on the Son at Jesus' baptisms, but Jesus' baptisms, he had one, but there's multiple accounts. Um, but in, in John 16, his, his first time he starts to articulate, and, and these are some of the most beautiful chapters of John, is, 13 through 17 ends in high priestly prayer, but 16, he is comforting his disciples. He's preparing them for that last little bit of ministry that they're about to endure with him in his earthly ministry. And he's saying, I'm about to go. It's going to look rather dark. It's going to be as terrifying, but I'm going, don't fear. It's actually better that I go. I'm going to send the counselor and he is going to guide you into all wisdom. He's going to guide you into all remembrance of these things. And then at Pentecost, the Spirit rains down. And so we go from a spirit in the Old Testament who has this divine, sovereign, untouchableness to him. And then we have in the New Testament, because of the justification earned for us in Christ at the cross, um, a purifying um, a righteousness that, we, that has been imputed to us such that we are now fit to house the Holy Spirit in us. And it's not limited to your heart. That's, that's kind of how we talk about it to children. But it is, I don't know how to explain it. It's, yeah. The Spirit is in us. And um, the, the one of my favorite things about the Spirit 
in this new relationship that we have because of the work of Christ is the Spirit kind of hovered and filled the Holy of Holies in both the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. The very presence of God where heaven and earth kind of intersected in a special way. Those things are torn apart and they were always intended to be temporary, but we are, this is actually where some of your, we, the, we are the, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is where that theology comes in, is the Spirit, we are now the new holies of holies. Holy of holies, I don't know how you do the plural of plurals, but it's, it's now, we are the place where heaven and earth intersect. We are the place where God's presence is in this kind of special form. I don't know if that really answers the question, the, but... I'm I'm so busy bouncing the questions right now. Um, so anything to add? Uh, I, I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna phrase one to you. Okay. Like, you want me to go and phrase it? Or sure, go sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll blend um, together. It's a follow-up question with the <clears throat> Holy Spirit coming upon new believers. Um, it's it's been, I've heard people reference that. Uh, they believed, and then years later, they really felt the Spirit come upon them. And that if they if they hadn't felt that, and then, like, like I've heard it said, like, how did I ever think I had the Spirit of God if I didn't, until I experienced this? Um, the question that was asked is, is there a separate filling of the Holy Spirit f- from the time that is implanted when we believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah. Um, so, this is an, an a tie with what what Ryan is saying, if you if you look at the Old Testament, you will oh, anytime the Holy Spirit is interacting with people, it is a temporary filling for a specific task. So a temporary coming on and empowering, and then leaving after that task has been done, because because he said people aren't fit for. It. And in the New Testament, what you see is an indwelling in believers that transforms them and changes them from the inside out. Um, the question is, what what's asking here is. Is there a second level? I, I, I believe that you receive the Holy Spirit at your moment of conversion. So it's not convert and you become a Christian and then someday you can get the Holy Spirit. Um, biblically, you, it, it appears in, in wherever we see that the Spirit comes to us in our moment of that. That is actually what regenerates us. That's what Ephesians 2 says, is the seal on us, or Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 is the seal that we belong to, to Christ. And so he comes on us there, but the question is, do we ever get, does he ever come upon us a second time in a filling? Some people call this like the baptism in the Spirit. So you get your first baptism, which is conversion, and then a baptism in the Spirit later. Um, so I'm about to let you into my mind for a little bit and, uh, and hopefully not get fired by my restoration <laughs> movement um, bosses. Um, so for forever... Uh, yeah, and that this will never get to Ozark or anything like that. So forever, I, I, I would have said no, that the, that the Holy Spirit only comes the one time in the indwelling, and that is all you get. And, and I'm not 100% on this, but as I've started reading and studying, I do, it does not seem crazy to me that though we are always indwelled with the Spirit, that in the same way that God may fill or empower people for a particular task in a unique way that they don't experience at their conversion. Um, and sometimes that seems to be entailed with a, a new um, experience of the love of God, his love for them. And so, um, and, and I don't, like I said, I, I can't say, I'm not, I'm not 100% on this. This is something that I've been studying over this last year and trying to figure, trying to figure out. 
Um, so I don't think you ever get like a, some people have the Holy Spirit and some people have like triple the Holy Spirit. But I do believe that sometimes for a particular reason or in a particular season of life, God might empower a person and give them like an extra level of experience in the Spirit and those things for a particular task. Just like he did in the Old Testament. The, the cool thing though is that he never leaves. He just like the, the, that specific empowering may go, but now because of what Christ did, he stays with us all the time and he's always indwelling us and speaking to us of the love of God and those kinds of things. So I think as humans, we're really guilty of being formulaic. Yes. So if I do X, Y, Z... Then I get yes. all of this will yes. come to me. We, we want to put God in that box. Yes, we want to be the genie. We want to do the magic formula, and then boom, we're super yes. empowered. We've got the spirit. Yes, but if you see through Acts, the spirit does what the spirit yes. wants to do, yes. and that's what we need to recognize is yes. that God, we're coming and joining in God's work. Yes, and so like you're saying, there are going to be times where. It's, he's working super duper through somebody. Yes. And other times where people are staying faithful to the work, staying consistent, yes. and he's going to bear fruit in, slowly. Yeah. So you see both. You see that paradox of work yes. even in the book of Acts. But people look at the book of Acts, and they're like, whoa, the Spirit at this point comes on these people. Yeah. And they talk about a spirit of ba- baptism. Um a baptism of the Spirit, and they want to make that a formula from those yeah. stories. And I think that's yeah. where we need to kind of take ourselves out of that mentality that you can't box in God yes. and God's way of working. And, and you're not even advocating that there are there are believers and then there are like super disciples right. with, with an anointing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're you not talking all. about yeah. that, which is often how it's described. Right. And yeah. it's not something that you can aspire to mm-hmm. in terms of if I could just speak in tongues and then you know that'll be proof of my baptism in the mm-hmm. Spirit. There's some movements that they really go down the formulaic route. And you're saying, no, like the Spirit tends to be, it's rather unpredictable, and He does what He wants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, we can, I think we can pray for those things. I think we can ask for those. I think we can, God, I mean, it feels like this is something you're calling me to. I don't feel like by my own strength I can do that. Will you fill me with your Spirit for these things? But we don't see when people go, here's what you need. You need to get some people to lay hands on you, and right. they'll fill you with the Spirit. Um, repeat a that, phrase, repeat yeah. a phrase, time over yes, and yes, over and over. Repeat this, or, yeah, repeat we, this, repeat this. We see, we see that, I think, once, maybe Acts 8 in Samaria, where the disciples lay hands on, and then the Spirit comes. Other times, it just happens. Yeah. Other times, people pray, and it seems like God answers that. Other, so it just, it doesn't, it seems like we, God says, hey, pray and ask. And in my divine wisdom and sovereignty, I'll tell you when you need it, and I'll give I'll give that to you. But you can seek that. I think I just mm-hmm. you just can't control that. Mm-hmm. All right, we are. I'm getting bombarded with a lot of great questions. Uh, <laughs> trying to trying to work through them. Um, so this one, Aaron, you you mentioned. I, I think it was you when you said you came you came back to Stillwater, and the culture was just it just blew you away. What it looked like here, uh, what people like, what it looked—I like, don't know. Um, this question wants to deal with you coming back to Stillwater. So all cities have unique cultures and also unique idols. What are the strongholds over Stillwater, and how do we bring freedom through the gospel to those areas? So, so what are what are the strongholds? What are the idols? And then, second, how do you bring the gospel to it? That's a hard question. Hey, here, um, I'll say I'm... this real quick. Don't try to be nice to us. Oh, uh, like so, feel free, feel free to, to speak as openly and as bluntly as you need to as someone who's who's kind of coming in from the outside recently, at least. Well, I think these are idols, okay. personally. 
I'm, I mean, every furlough, we've had two furloughs. I mean, I'm, I'll be honest, I was shocked that people are texting in their questions instead of just raising your hand and having a face-to-face. -face. Like, that's weird to me. And I wouldn't have said that if this question hadn't come up. I, and I've heard that people don't know how to talk anymore. They only text. So that's bizarre to me. But um, every furlough that we've come back, that's a home assignment. The first one was four years, and I didn't know what an iPhone was. And they were kind of creeping in. And then the second one, everyone had an iPhone. I didn't know what an app was. I heard people talking about getting apps. I didn't know. But I, I mean, from being out of this culture to stepping into it periodically and now being in it, I don't think, I don't know anyone that exists without one of these. And I actually don't think they're bad. I'm, I think they're tools, but I don't know anybody that can just, like, leave their phone for a couple hours and be, like, I think they wouldn't know what to do. It's almost like you don't know who you are without this thing. You shaved night, like before you came, your phone stopped working or whatever. Yeah, my phone's and, I mean, dead. That's like know. something that many of us would say through tears. Phone stopped. I don't know how I get I would have been late because I was getting a new one. I would not have come here without one. Really? Much. Yeah. Um, You're alone. I got to repeat. And I think yeah. that Jake is better about it than I am. That's the thing. I'm not like I'm not pointing fingers. I see why it's convenient to text instead of picking up the phone. I'm I'm not even saying that it's bad. Um, I just think like if if I know our first furlough we were in this small group with people and they would it was like Pavlov's dog. I don't know if any of you are psychology majors, but it would ding. We're talking, and they'd be like, and I was thinking, I'm right here, and I'm leaving. I mean, I'm not going to be here forever, and you're looking at your stinking phone. Just, it drives me crazy. I know I sound like an old lady, so I'm, I'll get off of that. But um, but I think... Like, can you, I mean, can you function? Can you live without this being, like, I mean, social media, the need for approval... Um, that's what I was going to say what are you inviting just, into your life yeah, like we've invited like, Christ into our life but then we're also inviting these things it feels like this culture is entrenched with non reality like social media is not real you don't look that good all the time um, you, the, the phone it's a box it's not a human and it's weird it is so weird you guys to come back here and see how that has taken over when I'm living with people that are in the Stone Age and are existing just fine. I'm not I'm not saying that's better. I'm just saying, can't there be a happy medium where we're just kind of like, that's, you know, I'm with you. I'm not tethered to this thing, um, be it social media or whatever. I've had people tell me that the um, I don't respond to texts fast enough and I'm rude. <laughs> and I don't mean it that way either. It's just... I just think there's a lot that's tied up in, um, I think it's a need for acceptance, approval. I think it creates, at least in me, a mania and anxiety that if I'm not, and I don't know if you're entrenched in this culture, if you can't see it, but I read a study that said that America has more anxiety than any other country in the world, and yet we have so much. The anxiety rate in Nigeria is like 1%, and here it's every other person. It's like over 50% of our population. Why? So this thing that should be helping us to communicate actually makes us, it's the opposite. It's I have to do this because it's in front of me rather than 
I'm living my life and this is a tool for living my life rather than this thing controls me. I, I wouldn't, I'm not even going to say that all anxiety is tied to a phone or to social media, but I just can't help but think how they're linked. And I didn't grow up with an iPhone, so I feel a little bit bad for some of you because it's, it, I mean, do you even know what life was like before an iPhone? I mean, no, I, don't I mean, know. they spent their entire teenager. Yeah. yeah. And that, they're not bad. I'm grandma. not saying don't use them. <laughs> I'm not saying don't use them. Where's I your walker at, Grandma? <laughs> <laughs> now I do feel bad. Yeah. See, no, I'm one of those people but who no, I say that I'm going to go away and feel bad I about don't saying that. No, she will. Yeah. But what I was going to say about inviting, I mean, people talk about porn addictions, and yet we're just tethered to these things that are just in our pocket porn addiction mm -hmm. makers. Mm -hmm. You, I mean, if cut no one it else, off. yeah, I mean, cut the thing off. We wonder why everybody's looking at porn all the time, constantly. It's because we have these things that give us easy access to porn on a regular basis, and we don't have anybody checking it or giving us some the, guidance on how to. I don't remember the verse reference, but that everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Beneficial, and thinking. There might be times where this actually isn't beneficial, or am I capable of getting off Instagram for a month? Um, am I capable of being alone with my Savior for like 30 minutes without even looking? I don't, 30 minutes might sound, maybe 15 minutes. I don't know. I don't know what level different people are at, but that just, I, and I'm, I like my phone. I'm not, I'm not, but, um, is it controlling you, or do you use it as a tool for the way you want to live your life, or the way Christ wants you to live your life. Okay, That's the biggest thing. Moving, moving to the second part of that, um, since we are so entrenched in this culture and we can't really see how this is part of daily lives, how, how would you, how do you think the gospel should be presented to, to people like us that are in this? I know that's a hard one, it's where we wrestle with you version. Yeah. No. Get it out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't air, know. You the guys, I'm, I'm not relevant in this culture anymore. That's my problem. I don't know. I mean, I would much rather sit down and talk to you and have a face-to-face -face than have it be somehow... I just think there's something lost if it has to always be technology. I'm not saying it can't be sometimes, but I don't... I mean, there are studies that talk about reading the Bible on your phone or on your Kindle. You can't remember it as well as when you're turning pages. Um, so it's like this... Tactile learning. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you actually remember what you read better if you... I won't lick your Bible, but I mean, you know, if you actually turn the page and see what chapter you're in. Um, I don't know. Um, so how to spread the gospel... I'm, I am, you guys, I am seriously trying to figure that out. I don't know. Because I, I don't want to be an old granny. I don't want to be a grandma, but I don't, um, <laughs> I seriously am, I am a deer in headlights with the amount of people in a restaurant that are on their phones. It's like, I feel like I have landed on a different planet, and this is what everybody's doing. And I'm in a restaurant, and nobody's looking at anybody. I just can't see Jesus like this. If he was sitting next to you and I was doing this, wouldn't you think, hey man, I'm, I don't know. It's just bizarre to me, so I don't, I don't have any good <laughs> responses. I'll figure it out and let you know. I'll get it all worked yeah. out. Post it on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, we'll yes. post, she'll post it. She'll tweet about it later. We'll get it all squared away.
I think there's something to be said for being a prophetic voice, though, and yeah. saying I'm going to be different, or yep. you've got to call me, and we've got to meet face to face to talk through I these issues. I mean, you issues can text me, or text me. <laughs> you I can just text might me. take two hours or three. Yeah. I won't text you back within five seconds. But, but I, I think well, I would. I'll just jump on there. I think the fr- the first way to be to proclaim the gospel, particularly dealing with our iPhones or smartphones, I think would be taking some advice from Aaron, and that is setting them aside. That's that's how you're going to be able to speak the gospel clearly. That's how you're going to be able to speak into another person's life if you're doing it yourself. So setting those things aside and taking the opportunity to hear from Christ, to sit with Jesus for a while, um, I think is probably the first step in figuring out how to really share the gospel. Give us one more. Uh, actually, well, um, this this person, I don't know if you just heard Aaron's talk, but uh, kind of uh, not using phones. She texted, can I ask it in public? So I'm just going to open it up. Please do. Don't feel bad about texting. They set it up. Yeah. <laughs> We're the wicked, like, yeah. forcing you to Saturday. worship these pagan idols. <laughs> <laughs> came across a quote from N.T. Wright, a preacher, speaker, writer, um, about two years ago, and it was kind of a profound, just very basic statement that there is no kingdom without cross, and that looking at God's kingdom, it didn't exist without Jesus' cross. So suffering, sacrifice is an integral part, I think, of God's kingdom and seeing God's kingdom go forward. But it doesn't have to, doesn't mean you have to physically always be crucified or go and be a martyr uh, in some capacity. But I think it means not always just being comfortable and not putting yourself or keeping yourself from being put out into different situations. So, for example, here as a college student, are you placing yourself, like I said earlier about a posture are you placing yourself in situations where you're going to have the uncomfortable conversation about faith? That's a form of suffering in my opinion because I just want to chill with my headphones on and listen to music, drink my coffee, whatever. Oh crap, no. I need to talk to my roommate By about the way, I do too. Doing. I hate talking to people on planes and he will. And I'm the one that's like, oh. Yeah, she's like, she's like, I'm going to pretend I'm asleep, you know, whatever. But I think that that's where we can start that process of making ourselves uncomfortable, recognizing that your roommate's not going to be any different if you don't make time to hang out and speak to her about faith. 
or the person across the hall. And so that's going to be the cross point for you. That's where you're going to get uncomfortable and have to talk about those things. There's not going to be any change if you do the, you know, everybody loves that Francis of Assisi quote, the, what Speak is it? the gospel at all time, if necessary, use words. Use words, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the most quoted, you know, thing in the last five years. Yeah. I'm pretty and sure it, God smited him right after he said <laughs> it. Yeah. That was a dumb thing, Francis. He's, he's gone. You're wrong! <laughs> no. No, but I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that quote, and I think that there's truth in that as well. I don't think, and I but, don't think you have to seek out suffering. No. Um, the other Francis, Francis Chan, has a quote that, I will, that I'll butcher, and it's something like, the things that you attempt to do should be so big that if God's not in them, they will fail. So in other words, your big thing might be, I, this Muslim in my class knows nothing about Jesus. I'm just going to, this semester, I'm going to start up a relationship with her, and there ain't no way she's going to be thinking about Jesus unless I, unless God's in this. And he may not do anything with it, but it's, I, I, that's a little different than suffering, I guess. Um, but it's making I, yourself uncomfortable. That's what I'm saying. You're I placing think, yourself in a yeah. posture where you're saying crap, she's not going to hear about Jesus unless someone speaks into her life, here am I, use me, God. And it's going to be weird, it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's a form of suffering, I think, because you're I, giving up your time. And I do think there's suffering that um, is physical and has nothing to do with your calling, um, and I'm probably not the best person to address that, but I also know that um, before Jesus' ministry, God took him to the wilderness and there is something about being at your very end of yourself that God uses. Um, I mean, we've gone through some stuff, but it all can be related to we're in Ethiopia, so that's why, you know. So, But now, if I were to get cancer, I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I may never know why. So that's, um, I don't know if that's kind of the question that you're asking. Is but any, I think of, there is any a, of that help? I think there is a way that God meets you profoundly in those moments where um, there is a clarifying to suffering I think that allows you to see God clearly where when everything's going the way it should you can't um, and it's in it's definitely in the Bible I don't know if that helps you guys probably have something more theological to add I mean, I my one thing that I would add, and probably I'm just saying the same thing they've already said in a different way, is the one thing that never makes decisions for me or really needs to be low on the list of things that help me make decisions is my own comfort. Yeah. Um, I think for many of us, our own personal comfort is, if it's not our God, it's like a co-God with the real God. Mm -hmm. And the one thing, um, the, the, the two things I, I want to do is I want to, I want to be faithful to the Lord, and I don't want to take it on the chin ever for that. <laughs> and uh, and I think we really have to get rid of that second mentality. And and we don't look for suffering. Um, that's that's again that's a that's a different kind of goal. But when it shows up, um, we cry out to God to give us the kind of the the gumption to get through it. But and, and we even ask Him to alleviate it. Should He should He will that that's cool? But um, but the one thing that I just can't do is make my own comfort the end-all, be-all. I'm, I'm scared to death what a 
lifestyle of doing that would teach my kids following Jesus really is. Or those, or the Muslim in my class who's watching me follow Jesus and just never sees me like take a risk. Jesus really is formed in the image of Ryan Vincent at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that just can't be. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, but I want, uh, just, you know, I mean, we've got cookies and coffee. I don't know if you guys got a jet, if you guys can get back to kids where, but um, if so, don't bit. worry about it. But yeah. I would, yeah, dude, take, minutes, take, so. if you have other questions, sorry, obviously, there are probably tons of questions got brought in that we, we weren't able to get to. We'd love to answer them one-on-one. Um, or if hey, you or just... you can text me questions. So you can yeah. So, so you can do that. I would love for for if you if you have questions, come talk to us. I would love for you to just come introduce yourself to Jake and Aaron and meet them, especially if you've got questions about this. And I'd love for you to I'd love for you to come check out some of this and pray through. God, is this something that maybe maybe this is part of your will right now for me to. To make disciples in in Kenya or in Spain or in Ireland this summer, so I'd love for you to consider that. Um, let me actually pray and I'll be done. God, I thank you for your work in your kingdom, and I thank you that this is not all on us. And I thank you that um, long after Jake and Aaron leave Ethiopia, that you are still there and working. Thank you that you were here before they got back, and uh, and that you're you're doing things in OSU and around the place, uh, around the world, uh, with or without us. And I just, Lord, when we talk about your will, um, we just want to be a part of what you're doing in the kingdom. And so I pray that through little things tonight, that um, that your Spirit would drive some stuff into our heart that causes us to want to chase after you and what you want more. And that you would use things like this for the greater good of your kingdom and, and of your glory. And so I ask your spirit to, to help us work those things out. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All right. Hang around. Drink some-